0: Uh, I remember when I was uh, a teenager um, some years years back uh, and I heard a preacher say something and it shook me to my core and it it wasn't necessarily some deep theological truth or anything like that. It was the statement and the way that the, the, the preacher worded it, it just stuck out to me because it's not how I'm used to engaging with God. It's not how I'm used to engaging with heaven. It's like, heaven is always that carrot at the end of the stick. Heaven is always that thing that's far off, and we're all moving slowly to get to that place. And the preacher was upset, and this is early 90s, and the preacher said, I don't need a pie in the sky. I need it here. And it shook me, because I'm like, isn't that our hope? We're supposed supposed to go there. Heaven is the reward, right? I started to think through, and as I grew older, I started to understand what that preacher was talking about. That preacher was in the midst of a very uh, strong, uh, just kind of depressed season in South Central LA. A time where there were riots, a time where there was economic depression, a time where there was drug and gang violence, a time where there was so much going on that the preacher said, I just want to see Jesus. I just want to see something good now. I can't wait. I know it's there, but I just need a little bit here. Have you ever been there? You ever felt that? You ever felt at your your end, like, I just can't make it another day. God, if you don't show up. God, if I can't see the good in this world, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, one of the things that is so interesting about living in this world is that there are pain points and there are struggles in this world and all of those things should remind you that this is not home. It should remind you that this is not the place where we will spend eternity. But God also knew that we would experience those struggles because of our sin, because of previous people's sin, because of future people's sin. We're going to experience sin. We're going to experience troubles in this world. And so, what he did was, Jesus left the glory and the beauty and the perfectness of heaven, and he came. And he came here so that we would understand what it means to live this life with God. That we would have a glimpse of what it would be like in heaven. That we have an opportunity to have something bigger than the struggles and the trials and the strife that we experience in a daily. We could have more. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting, but this is not the first time. That waiting had been going on for a period of time, about 400 years since the last time that God's people heard his voice. And then now we enter into the study that we're going to be in for the next couple of weeks, called Thy Kingdom Come. We're going to walk through a couple of chapters in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And as we walk through those chapters, we're going to see the reign of God and what it means for us. What it means for us that if that God's kingdom is here, if He is able to bring pieces of what heaven is like to us, we have that carrot. We have that. I can move forward. I don't know if you've ever run a race, in a couple of weeks I'll be running a race, but sometimes you just get dehydrated, sometimes you get tired, and then you come around the bend and there's a water station and you're able to drink some nice cold water and, and it refreshes you, being with Jesus, being in the presence of the Most High God, it's one of those things that refreshes you, even when it's been a long time and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for hope and hoping and hoping and hoping, but just have not seen it come to pass an important verse uh, for the setting of this is in the beginning of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse number 15. And it says this, this is Jesus talking. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus says that the waiting is over. He's making this pronouncement that everything that you have been hoping for, all the struggle, all the waiting has come to an end because I'm here now. I'm here now. But he comes along with an additional message beyond just the fact that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. He says, repent. He says, repent. See, this was the thing that was keeping us from the Father all along. This is the thing that was creating the drought. This is the thing that was creating the struggle. It was the sin. And Jesus says, I'm here. I've made a way for me to come close to you. And as I come close to you, your sin is still an issue. Your sin is still an issue, and so I need you to repent. See, here's the thing is we will never get to this place where you and I will not have to repent. Yes, Jesus is present, but we still still have to be people who are filled with a sense of our sin and how it keeps us away from God. So over the two chapters between uh, chapter one where we get that verse and then we get to chapter three where we're going to rest in today, Jesus does a tremendous amount of things, a tremendous amount of ministry. And as he's doing all of this ministry, it's, as we see him doing a tremendous amount of ministry, it starts to to overflow into people's lives. And I want to give you a sense of what it looks like. So Jesus withdrew, I'm reading chapter uh, chapter 3, verse number 7. It says that Jesus withdrew from his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, uh, the brother of James, they were called the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus the son of, and Simon the zealot, And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. My hope in this message is that you'll see that the reign of Jesus, it brings heaven to earth. The reign of Jesus brings heaven to earth. And what does that mean? It means that if Jesus has come, then our everyday life doesn't have to be mundane. That if Jesus is in the mix of what we do in life, there could be some special things happening. We don't have to just continue to drum on as if there was no God with us. And it's important for us to be able to acknowledge that there is a historical figure named Jesus. Because there are people who will tell you that he fits in the same vein as the the fables of uh, Hercules and Horace, and Jesus was just a good teacher, uh, or he had some good teachings, or he was a conglomerate of other people's teachings, and they just pulled it all together. But it's really interesting here that we see throughout Scripture consistently, they point to some very real things that are happening. They point to some very real things that there would be a lot of people and a lot of uh, documentation that things were happening. As Jesus of the Bible, it tells us, Jesus in the Bible tells us that he is Emmanuel. He is the God with us. He is the God that walks in our fully human experience. And he is guiding us to know what it looks like when we, who are only human, we walk in the calling of God. Jesus shows us that. If we look back at verses 7 and 8, We see something pretty important here. Mark is setting the scene as he is telling this gospel story and he starts to tell us where all of the people are coming from, that there are people coming from the south. There are people who are coming from the west. There are people who are coming from the city. There are people coming from the fields. There are people coming from everywhere. We're talking hundreds upon hundreds, if not thousands upon thousands of people who are coming after Jesus. And it's important that we understand this, because these people were sick and tired of the struggles that they had been in. Some of them were sick, and they needed healing. Some of them were tired of the oppression. Some of them, they just needed something different, and they heard about Jesus, and so they started to come. But here's the interesting thing, I want to ask you this question, how did they hear? How did they know? How did they know something was special about Jesus? They're coming from all these other places. They didn't see him. They're coming to see him now. These thousands of people who are coming to him. So how did they get this? They got it because somebody who had a firsthand experience with Jesus went back and told them. Somebody who had seen him. Somebody who had felt him. Somebody who was healed by him went back and told everybody else. They told the story. They told the message of Jesus. The kingdom has come. Jesus is here. He's healing. He's changing lives. The question I want to ask you is, when was the last time someone traveled hundreds of miles to see Jesus because of your word? Because you told your story. You have a testimony. You have, those of you who are here and who are believers, you have a part to play in the midst of this. Your testimony is important. Tell of how God saved you. Tell of how God changed you and redeemed you. And when you tell of how God saved you and how God redeemed you, lives will be changed. People will begin to come and see. Oh, if you would have known me. If you would have known what I was like before I came to know Jesus. Maybe your story starts that same way. I was not the person that you see in front of you. But God took me and he said, that's not a problem for me. I'm not worried about your past. I'm not worried about the things that you said. I'm not worried about the things that you did at night. I'm not worried about those things because I have a way around that. I sent my son that he might die on the cross, that he would be able to redeem you from whatever works you have found yourself in. There is nothing outside of the power of God. And we have to be a people who are willing to tell that story. Why are there so many people who are coming against the church and coming against the message of Jesus Christ? It's because we're not telling them that we are being changed. They're thinking that it was something that happened back in the day, that, oh, it was all of those people who were not educated, but now we have universities. Oh, it was all of those people who were superstitious, but we proved the superstitions wrong, and that's that's, that's what religion is. No, Jesus is just as, li- uh, just as alive in my heart as he was in Paul's heart, as he was in Peter's heart, as he was in Timothy's heart, as he was in Origen's heart, as he was throughout all of history, God is still moving. But are you telling the story? Just a few months ago, back in February, we saw this great outpouring at Asbury University in Kentucky. People all over the world started to hear about this great outpouring, a move of God, and I want you to know that people are still just as interested today as they were back then because thousands of people started to flock towards this little town called Wilmore, Kentucky so that they could get a glimpse, so that they can get a touch, so that they could be present when the Spirit is moving. Oh, people want to hear it. It spread across the news and it spread so far that there were people who showed up from Japan and Russia just to get a glimpse. Just to get a touch. Will you tell the story? Will you tell the story? I think God is moving in very special ways. But Mark tells the crowd, tells of a crowd who believed the message of Jesus. And he begins to paint this picture a very tense situation. It's an overwhelming scene, and I don't know if you've ever felt the, the feelings of overwhelm or the feelings that there's so much happening in the world that you don't know what to do. But Mark begins to paint this really interesting picture in verses uh, 9 through 12. He tells us about a scene that's so thick that he tells his disciples, hey, I need you guys to go secure a boat and keep it on the side uh, just in case they get a little rowdy. Go, go keep the car running. I'm not sure how this thing is gonna go. Now Jesus being fully God and fully man, to me that's one of those moments where he felt what we would feel. I mean, when you see a crowd of people, and they all want you. I, I was, honestly, I ain't never, never been in that situation. I thank God my wife wants me. But <laughs> there's thousands of people clamoring for him there are people who have traveled for days upon days upon days just to touch him this is what he's walking into not only are these things happening where people just are pressing in against him but then you also have this other demonstration that we see where it says that the uh, that there were unclean spirits, and they saw him, and they fell down before him, and they cried out, You are the Son of God! Now notice he said spirits. This is not just one. In this crowd of thousands, there were many who were crying out, shrieking out. You are the Son of God! In the midst of those that said, I just want to touch Jesus, heal me, and they're pressing in on him. I don't know about you, but reading this produces a tremendous amount of anxiety for me. To be, Just being present to watch this? It just seems like uncontrolled chaos, but Jesus is in the midst of it. He goes in the midst of all of these things, and there's sounds that just are unnatural, and there is a pushing and a move of a crowd that is unnatural. And I remember there was a time when I went to a conference... It was a youth conference at the Pontiac Silverdome. I don't know if you remember what it was, but it was uh, at one time the biggest uh, arena in the country. And I went to this youth conference there and there were over 100,000 young people there from all over the country. And it was your typical evangelical youth event. There were fireworks and there was pizza and there was songs and it was loud and it it was crazy, but it was great. But when it was time to leave, I remember the first night you leave out And it's just jam-packed people in corridors. I mean, just press, there's no way someone's not going to touch you. There's people in front of you and there's people behind you. And if you were were, were light enough, you probably could lift up your legs and just be carried by the whole crowd. That's just kind of how tight things were. And this is what floats in my mind when I think about this scene, that there are so many people jam-packed around Jesus, it almost seems like they're moving as one big mob around him. And you may find yourself feeling like there are so many things that are chaotic around you and that you have absolutely no control about what's happening. It just keeps coming at you. It's coming at you from home. It's coming at you from school. It's coming at you from work. It's coming at you from even inside of you. And there's an overwhelm in this moment. But Jesus, he doesn't give in to the overwhelm. Jesus does a few things. I want to help you to kind of get a biblical glimpse of what to do when you're experiencing that overwhelm or that oppression, when you're feeling that clamp down, like you just... I don't even know how I got here. I just ended up here. The movement, it just, it got me here. One of the things I see here is that Jesus walked into this moment with an exit strategy. He walked into the moment looking at all that was going on and started off by telling the disciples, hey, go get that boat. Before I go down here, go get the boat because we might need it. And what does that mean for me? It means for me that I need to have some level of margin in my life. That is my lifeboat. I need to keep some buffering. I have 24 hours a day. I can't program 24 full hours in my planner. I have to keep some time so that I might be able to just step away. Now, whether that stepping away is just kneeling in prayer, whether that stepping away is going to get a cup of water, I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes you look up and it's hours and you haven't even drank water. Um, if you, you know, know the sleep and the eat thing. We talked about that last week. Uh, it's on Spotify. You can listen to that one. But he sent his disciples to, to secure a way out. And maybe that's what you need. You're in a financial you're in financially over your head or you're just overcommitted in your time, my recommendation to you is that you will follow what Jesus did and you leave some time set aside or that you put some money aside in your bank account so that you're not feeling financially overleveraged. Save just a little bit to the side so that you can get out, so that you can have an option in case things get tight. Secondly, what Jesus did Jesus did the work that God gave him to do. He wasn't overcome with the guilt of not fulfilling his responsibilities. He just did the work. Now, this is an interesting play here because Jesus sees this overwhelming mass, but yet he still chooses to go into it. He doesn't run away from the work that God called him to, to preach the gospel, to share that the kingdom has come. He goes into it and does the work. And I don't know about you, but when you leave things undone, there is an internal guilt that comes up that, I just, I should have did it. I should have just did it. I can't believe I didn't do it. And you're still not doing it, but you're just kicking yourself the whole time that you didn't do it. Just do the work. Just go into it. God will move. Do the work. When you don't do the work, it just piles up and you live in regret of what you didn't do. What often comes is thinking these wrong things about yourself and others because you didn't, uh, because you didn't just do the thing that God had set before you. Now, these voices inside you can also influence your, influence your day, but then there's also voices from outside of you. And what Jesus did is he silenced the voices of the enemy. Jesus silenced the voices of the enemy that were calling out and crying out. He stepped into that moment. So how do we silence those voices? But we think on the good things. We think on the things that are lovely. We think on the things that are peaceable. And we do the first two things so that there is no condemnation in Christ. We make sure that we're doing the job. We set aside margin and that we have that option to step back. Jesus silenced the voice of the enemy so that they weren't overwhelming his message. Jesus took some time away from the crowds. Now we know this because this story is echoed in Luke chapter six. And in Luke chapter 6, we see that Jesus, after he has this grand ministry moment where he's praying over people, and he's healing people, he's delivering people, he's doing all these great things. In Luke chapter 6, it tells us that he retreats. He then retreats. He goes and he spends time with the Father. And he spends time with the Father and he begins to pray. And in the process of him praying, he says he prays all night. Now, On Wednesday, we're going to be praying for 30 minutes, but it is possible. You can pray all night. You can take some vacation days and say, I'm just going to pray because I need to hear the Lord just that much. I'm going to take my margin and make sure that I'm praying every single morning and make sure that I'm praying every single night. You may have to wake up a little bit earlier. You may have to go to sleep a little bit later, or you may have to sit in your car and pray at your lunch hour instead of spending that time with your coworkers. But you set aside that time. To go to the Lord and he will grant you direction. He will give you direction. Jesus comes from this moment with great direction to the point where he starts to call out helpers for the work. We just saw Jesus in this overwhelming situation. It wasn't overwhelming for him, but he sets this beautiful example of bringing in others to do the work. And we see that he called Peter, and he called John, and he called James, and he called Andrew, and he called all of these men to go into the work with him. Jesus, he set this example for them to be able to see. He modeled for them the power of God moving in the midst of chaos. And then he called them into it, and he said, you can do this. You can do this, man. You just saw me do it. Now, I understand that naturally you would be completely out of your league, but you are not just walking. Naturally, you're walking with me. And if we walk into those situations with Jesus, we have more than enough. Amen? So we look at verses 13 and 15. It says it like this And he went up on the mountain and he called to them those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Now, when we first started this narrative, Mark is telling us that there are just throngs of people, just lots of people who are all around, and they're pressing in to see Jesus. But when he goes up to the mountain, he decides to call out some particular ones. I mean, there's thousands of people here. Jesus is on this mountain, and he, he sends for some folks. He calls them into something special. And I don't want you to overlook this because out of all this crowd, there are some who came with needs. There are some who came bringing their sick. There are some who came because they were sick themselves. There are some who came because they just, they just like a party. They were just lingering around. And there are some, like the Pharisees who we, who we see earlier in chapter 3, They were coming just to find reasons to accuse him. In the midst of a crowd, it's not always a group of people who love Jesus. In the midst of a crowd, it's not always the people who are seeking to do the right things. But Jesus knows who he wants. Jesus knows who he's calling. And I would venture to say that for a lot of you, he has called you. And what has he called you out of? He's called you out of the ordinary. He's called you out of the opportunity for you to just be there Seeking after your benefit. He's calling you in to the work. Be with me. He's calling you into something special. When Jesus calls you, he wants to be with you first. It's not all about what you can do for Jesus. We need to know him. And the only way to accomplish this is to be with him. We need to spend time with Jesus. When we get saved out of our zeal, we want to start doing a bunch of things for him. We want to start a blog and a podcast, and we want to start telling everybody, you know, uh, well, this is how you can live nine ways to a great Christian life. You know, I've been living this for the last six weeks, so I'm telling you, it works. And I'm not downing the zeal that is there, but I want you to understand, you take that zeal and you put it in just getting to know him. Just get to know him. So much of our quick microwave world has made us impatient. That even with the ruler of the universe, we want to walk it out in quick intimacy. We want quick intimacy. I got a relationship with you, Jesus. All right, give me everything you got. And we take that same mentality into our relationships with other people. I spend time with you. Hey, I I need you to do something for me. I need... I need you to give me all of you right now. I know we just met three weeks ago, but hey. Jesus took these men on a three-year journey of showing them who he was. And not just showing them who he was, but he was hearing who they are. Not that God needs to know more about you, but he wants to know that you trust him with who you are. Hey God, I'm a liar, and I realize that about myself. I don't know why, but for some reason, I I just tell people stuff about me that's not true because I I really just want to be accepted. I really just want to be valued. Um, can Can you help me with that? Absolutely God can, and absolutely God knew that before you ever said it. But there's a vulnerability on your side when you open up yourself to him. And in doing so, He opens himself up to you and shows you that he still loves you. Even though you used to lie. Even though you may have fallen again, his love is still there for you. Remember the great commandment. It says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Then love your neighbor as yourself. And just like we have to get to know God over time, it's gonna take time to get to know the people that you just meet. And maybe you're new here. Maybe you're new to Woodside, Detroit. Maybe you're even new to Detroit. Maybe you're new to your job. Maybe you're new to the campus. Don't just jump in and tell the first person that you meet, I love you. Get to know them. Get to know them, spend time with them. Recognize that you don't have to be all in in the first two seconds. what you can be is, hey, let's grab some coffee or some caramels which is arbitrary, just like coffee don't just jump into those relationships learn somebody's family history learn God's family history you go into the Lord and you're asking him for things and you want him to show you things and he has shown you a considerable amount about himself God teaches us in here about what he thinks about family. So you may be telling him about your family history, but he's also telling you what he believes about family, how he wants to see family happen. Now, you may be telling him about your feelings of love, and he's telling you what love is. He's sharing that thing back with you. Once they, be, they, they spent time with Jesus and learned of him, he gave them the authority to carry on the work that he began the work that he modeled for them the message that he told them of the kingdom of god they were empowered to do the work that they just saw him do they watched him work and they watched him be restored they knew jesus in all of his facets they knew him because they spent that time with him now maybe you're saying to yourself today well how do i get a chance to know jesus you know, I, I don't see him standing in the midst of this crowd. I don't see, I, I, how do I get to know him? How do I get to have this conversation with him? Well, it begins in prayer. It begins in an initial conversation, you saying, Lord, I want to be yours. I want to be in a relationship with you. God, here I am. And if you're saying, God, here I am, then he's going to respond and he's going to answer you. How does he answer you? Open the book. Open the book he'll tell you, he'll tell you, he will teach you. So you pray and you speak to him and then open the Bible and then he will talk to you and then open your mouth and begin to pray to him again and share more with him and then open your Bible and then he will begin to talk to you. This is how we spend time. Now translation to the regular relationships that we have, share a little bit about you, close your mouth and let somebody share a little bit about themselves. And then as you hear what they have said about themselves, process that, spend time with that, and then share a little bit about you and how you feel about the things that they've said, and then let them respond back to you. See, God is teaching us how to be in relationship with him and with other people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the way he wants us to be in relationship. Don't let impatience creep in. Don't let the ways of the world creep in. Take your time. Get to know him. When you read the Bible, you learn of God's hopes, his concerns for you. If you want to go a bit further in the relationship, I want you to tell somebody about Jesus. If you want to get to know God a little bit more, start telling people about him. I want you to think about this. Even those of you who are married, doesn't your spouse or, or the people that you love, don't they get excited when you tell other people about them? I know it's like when I meet somebody and they say, oh, yeah, I heard about you. Well, then I get a little question like, wait, what'd you, what'd you hear? What'd you hear? No. no. But it's somebody was talking about you. It's like, oh, man, that's a blessing. I appreciate you. I appreciate that they was, what they were saying about me. Think about this. You get to go out and you get to talk about the king of the universe. You get to go out and talk about your savior. You get to go out and talk about the greatest love of your life. You get to go out and you get to share with people the hope that lies within you. I found this guy. I, you know, I was living this life, and I didn't even realize how miserable I was. But then I came to Jesus and I drank a fresh water, I realized that I was so dehydrated, I realized that I was so broken, and he just filled me up, and now I have a joy. Now, I may still live in the same place that I live in, and I may still drive the same car I drive, I may still be in the circumstances that I find myself in, but I have joy, because I have him. I have a peace because I have him. I have a love because I have him and I can move forward in this and what am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to just tell somebody so that we can have heaven on earth. Because the problem that we see, the issues that we we run into are because there are people who don't know him. Because if they knew him and we were all gathered together as believers submitted to him, this world would be wholly different. And so, what is the answer to the problems that we see in this world? Tell them about Jesus. Open your mouth and they will come, just as they came from Judea, just as they came. Idumea, just as they came from Jerusalem, just as they came to the Pontiac Silver Dome, just as you came into this place today. The word of Jesus, it never fails. And the message of God is His kingdom has come, and we don't have to live apart from the Father anymore. That is the gospel, and that is our message.